0: We are a company that does accessibility, and we believe that there should be a level playing field for everybody. We're saying welcome everyone because we are kind of at the center of accessibility. If you flip that, that sends a message that you have a place at the table and you should have a place at the table.
1: from the outreach department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman.
2: Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Dr. Craig Metter and I worked together in Washington State back in the beginning of my career, and so of course I harassed him to come onto our podcast. What you're about to hear may sound more like two friends chatting about work than an official interview with the president of the American Printing House for the Blind. With that in mind, to help us learn more about APH and their mission, we bring you Dr. Craig Metter.
0: Mission really hasn't changed for best I can figure since going all the way back to the original charter, which was 1879, at which point Congress said, your job is to produce materials for people who are blind. And then over the years, that pretty much, as things got developed over time, the focus mainly became K-12, but the mission stayed the same. and The mission was uh, produce educational materials and then for Students, but um, but it could be for anybody. So it it, you know that's the way it's developed. So that hasn't changed. It could be Braille. That could be educational materials, technology, and then where that has broadened over the last uh, probably two decades is services. There's a level of services when we developed the full library team at APH, where and we got the the uh, NIMAC account. We became the holders of. Uh, national instructional materials uh, for download, we became, so it became services in addition to products. So, yeah, that really hasn't changed too much.
2: So why do you think that there was a need for government involvement with our population that's unlike for any other population of kids? man, you could really unpack this one.
0: You could go back to a uh, study in psychology. You could go back into uh, sociological study. But for whatever reason, in the 1800s, we just came out of the Civil War. Originally, it started pre-Civil War when we got permission to start producing materials for people who are blind or visually impaired. And that was due to the work of a couple gentlemen who basically traveled around the country they're from Kentucky and they basically said it's it's not fair it's like you know they're like hey folks you know what's screwy is when I was in when I was a kid I had access to at that time raised print because there was no braille Mm -hmm. I had access to raised print and I could read for myself and then I become an adult and there's nothing yeah and uh, and so it was really funny because this what these were adults really advocating for a adult Services, mm-hmm. not necessarily for, because kids who were at existing schools for the blind had access, so they were basically. That's my take. They're advocating more for adults as getting materials out, but I think I think that angle it's for the children always carries a little more weight than it's for the adult. That's just my, I'm just going off on a tangent there, <laughs> I think that's just my thought. But somehow they convince members of Congress uh, to, yeah, we can do this. So you have this all happening at a time um, when the country is vastly divided. We're getting ready to go into the Civil War. Yeah. So, but people still had, they saw a need both for, at that time in America, they, they saw a need for people with disabilities, namely children for disabilities. I mean, this is, you know, every, almost every state had a school for the blind, a school for the deaf, a school for uh, children with other disabilities, mm-hmm. and, and uh, they had some awful terms for that. But, yeah. but you saw that. So people, it's amazing that despite political tensions at a time when when the whole United States is is really pulling in two different directions. They still regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, they had this sense of decency saying it's still important to take care of people who are marginalized. There were uh, a few years there where services kind of dwindled because we're in the Civil War, but then after the Civil War things picked back up again and of course in 1879 we actually got actual federal funding and the federal mandate to make this a must, and all those uh, rules and things were set up. From 1879 to the early 1900s is when kind of the focus went more towards schools for the blind. Mm -hmm. And that really became the focus.
2: Each state has what we call quota funds, and it's allocated per child per state. Um, How does that, how is that system managed nationally?
0: Very differently from state to state. So what remains the same is every year we get a chunk of money from the federal government. This uh, past year we received $27 million. If we round it up, $27.5 million. So when you get that chunk of money, it's it's broken down how that money is to be used. Some of that is to be used for research and development of products. Some of that is, of course, then that also allows you to hire those people who are doing the research and the development of those products, um, but the majority of it is directed to always go back to students, and so we have probably, I, I can go back to records in the 30s, 20s, Pretty much, it's always been about 70% of all funds that come into APH go back to students. Mm-hmm. So 27, like I said, 27, and then you take the you, you take that 70%. But then you take that 70% of that 27, you divide it over 65,000 students. Wow. It's not, and yeah. then you end up with uh, roughly, say, you know, ballpark at roughly 400 dollars a student. Yeah. It's not a lot of money when, you, especially when you look at what a braille book cost, or will you look at what a braille display cost, or even a brailer, You know, brailers $800. So what that means is very quickly, if you are a state, uh, such as Washington, you know, that roughly, the number of students, you have a thousand students in the state, 1,200 students, or 1,400 identified on quota, and you didn't do the math, uh, which I'm not good at, but say we had a <laughs> thousand. And you get 400 bucks, so now you have $400,000 to spend. Yeah. Smart people, what they'll do is they will take a survey of the state and they say, we know we've got 400,000, how many brailers do we have that need to be repaired? Yeah. And almost every state does this. They they basically say, first thing we're going to do is we're going to buy textbooks because textbooks are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I always give, if you have to buy a math textbook, a brand new Putin Mifflin, ninth grade algebra book that has never been produced before, the first run production, because you probably will have 6,000 graphics in that math book, 6 to 10,000 graphics,
2: yeah.
0: on average it's going to cost you about $18 a page for that graphic. yeah So you're talking a ninth grade math book, which you would probably pay $100 for a print copy, you're going to pay anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 first copy of that math book. now. APH eats most of those costs. We only charge for the binding and the actual paper. Mm -hmm. So that $50,000 cost, uh, the school district is probably paying $3,000 of that and we're paying, we're eating the other $47,000. Wow. So that's, that's where some of that federal, that's where that federal dollars go. So we've got a budget for that. Yeah. Uh, this year we did 183 textbooks, new textbooks, mostly were math and science. And so um, that, we went through $2 million real quick wow. on textbooks, yeah. Wow. So we set aside 2 million every year for that. But anyhow it costs money so what most of these directors of the funds will do is they'll say what do we need first so they'll usually get their textbooks first once textbooks are done then the next thing they say is we need braille paper and that's still our number one seller braille paper really? yeah we sell more braille paper I mean it's the one thing that we uh, we have our some of our lowest margins on so we don't lose money but we usually break even yeah. and then um, so braille paper and then it's braillers and then it gets into all the educational aids so a uh, instructional center will, who's in charge of those funds, they'll say, okay, we need 100 brailers, so buy their 100, Bra- buy their textbooks, they buy their brailers. Of that $400,000, we have got $200,000 left over. What are the needs of the state? So yeah. they'll talk to all their teachers in the state, and they're saying people want uh, science materials, or they want abacus, or they want the Texas Instrument TI-84, or they want the Orbit 20 Reader and they'll get that information and then they come back in they place their order and um then that order gets shipped out. So this is the big confusion because we get we get calls I get call I'll get call from uh, Selma in Illinois saying my son is a visually impaired fourth grader, and I want his quota money. Selma, you can't have his quota money, and and first of all, four hundred dollars is not going to go very far, Selma. Yeah. You can't get anything. But you know, we so we get that. That's that misconception that a lot of uh, school districts or parents have. We have school districts yeah. who think, well, that's our money. We've got twenty kids, so we should get twenty times four hundred. We need new band uniforms, so we want that eight thousand oh, dollars. And yeah. it's like, well, they're thinking it's cash, and it's yeah. like, no, it's it's not cash. It is is basically credit at the APH store. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, you don't sell band uniforms." Like, "No, we don't. We sell <laughs> products for students who are blind or visually impaired." But so there's some misconceptions there. So does every student actually see the $400 and it's like, no, it's more the collective we in every state. And every state does it a little different. Like mm-hmm. you have states like California that have a mandated textbook. So if you're in San Francisco, you're using the same math book as in Los Angeles. So they don't spend a lot of money on Braille yeah, textbooks.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Because they do a, a single purchase kind of thing and it's usually not from APH. So basically they do more big ticket items in yeah. California. They're buying okay. the more expensive, uh, like the Map Connect or when we had the VisioBook, they were our biggest buyer of VisioBooks okay. or Braille displays. So they're buying more high ticket items that get out to the kids that are necessary. And then they run their things more like a lending library. So they lend those things out and then they come back in. Yeah. So they're less concerned about what are the individual needs of the teacher working with the student in Fresno. Yeah. And they're looking more from that 10,000-foot level. But you have some states who've got it dialed in. It's like, you know, I've, I've got Albert in, you know, upstate Alaska, and Albert needs a new brailler and needs braille paper. And then I've got Jimmy down in Fairbanks, and Jimmy got a lot of new stuff last year. So nothing for Jimmy this year, and it's all going to Albert. So they, they will <laughs> yeah. shift their money around student by student. And by law, that's the way it has to run. Every state, every department of ed has to come up with their home game plan. Uh, yeah. What's interesting is very few states have that in writing.
2: It's like folklore and legends. It is. It
0: is. <laughs> there's a lot of that, which is is really kind of wacky. Yeah. Um, because when we get a new person in, they're like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. You know, or so this year, critical. So everyone's given their money. Washington, you have four hundred thousand dollars. You have to spend it by September thirtieth. Now Washington's a good state; they usually have all their money spent by first of August. Yeah. But we have probably fifteen different accounts that wait till the final week before they spend a single dime. Mm-hmm. This year, in one of those states, they were sitting on almost a million dollars. Yeah. They changed people. The Friday before the final week.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: So a new person coming in going, what the (laughs) heck am I supposed to do? What is that? I don't know what quota (laughs) is. But luckily, the person on the way out, I think, left them a laundry list. Oh, great. So we spent a lot of week on the phone with people uh, that last week. um, And to give you an example of that, so we had, there were $3 million in unused quota funds this week. last monday so the last monday of september yeah we got that down to where there was only two hundred thousand dollars left on the table by friday at five o'clock that's great yeah it was great it was a lot of energy (laughs) and effort and a lot of time on the phone with people making things happen um, because the reality is, is if you are in California and you're sitting on a million dollars yeah. and you're not spending your million dollars, right. then we take that money and we redistribute it out to everybody yeah. after the deadline. So it's it's like if you don't spend your money, other people will. Right. And so we divide it up again and resubmit it out. We uh-huh. tell people, hey, you've got an extra five thousand dollars to spend, or you got an extra. Thirty-two dollars and twelve cents, and I kid you not. One year it was like fourteen dollars. Hey, you got an extra fourteen dollars to spend. Live large. (laughs) Um, Go crazy. Go crazy. But we roll it into next year's quota, so they don't have to spend a fourteen dollars on a fourteen dollar item. They can spend it on a bigger item with next year's money, and that refreshes every October one.
2: Yeah. So, now I know that um, you know in Texas. I know we paid ours down. A couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And Texas has a ton of kids. Is it one? Is it the biggest count? Is, did the most quota funds go to Texas, or is there another state that New has? New York.
0: Pennsylvania, okay. California, and Texas. Oh, we're Not four. necessarily in that order, yeah, but you're yeah. The, top the top four. four. Okay. Top four. Okay.
2: Oh, for kid count.
0: Oh, let me throw in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, really? has, they do a great job of, of identifying students. Okay. They, well, it's huge population centers right. too, but they have right. traditionally done probably the best job of student identification. Okay. I believe You remember that in Washington. I'm sure it's the same in Texas. Is It's the number of unidentified kids.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, you know they're out there. You see them in classrooms yeah, all the time. Yeah, they come into a classroom.
0: And you're like, oh, you're here to see this kid, but there are these other yep. three kids in the classroom that are definitely visually impaired. And yeah. no one has ever, they've never been to an eye doctor or had that exam yeah. or assessment, so.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Huh.
0: But you're in the you are in the top five, so.
2: Huh. Yeah. Interesting. You would think
0: you're the biggest state. I know. But you don't have the biggest population. Except
2: Alaska. States. We know you're bigger. Alaska. Yeah, Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. APH has been doing some uh, rebranding. We are um, we're, we're seeing the statement, welcome everyone on yep. all your stuff. Why do yep. you think this is an important concept?
0: We wrestled with a lot of it because our old tagline was like, building independence since 1859.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, when I came to the company three years ago, an amazing company, you know, opportunity I never thought I had when I was a teacher. You know, Uh, you can be president of APH someday. It's like, yeah, I don't see that
2: happening. (laughs) That's a big stretch.
0: Yeah, it was, especially coming from from Washington State, and you know, and uh, where you feel like nobody knows knows who you are and, and that type of thing. But the brand had always been, look at us, we're APH, we've got this incredible manufacturing facility and we've been producing products for over a hundred years and history, 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 history. And and I'm like going, oh, that's great. We should be proud of our history. Yeah. We've got a lot of history to be proud of, but mm-hmm. you know what? There's a time to really talk about your history Um, And that builds a credibility, but you need to be telling people where you're going and who you are and what you're about. You know, building independence since 1869 says we're an active company that is very proud of our history. Yeah. Uh, You you know, we really haven't defined independence and what does that mean? And and to uh, a younger generation, that doesn't necessarily always make sense. Uh, To an older generation, that doesn't always necessarily makes sense. And so when you throw out a tagline welcome everyone, we're APH. Okay, that invites a lot of questions. What do you mean by welcome everyone? And then you you can and for an elevator speech, you can say, well, you know, you're wearing the APH t-shirt says welcome everyone. It's like, well, "What is what does that mean?" And it's and it's like, "Well, we are a company that does accessibility. And we believe that there should be a level playing field for everybody. So we are telling not only everyone who's who has a disability you're welcome and you belong here Mm -hmm. but we're telling everybody who hasn't thought about accessibility before is this should be on your forefront yeah that's great you know everyone's welcome you flip that it's a welcome everyone we're saying welcome everyone because we are kind of at the center of accessibility if you flip that um, and and to the people who don't know that we're accessibility and say everybody's welcome that sends a message that, regardless of your need, your accessibility need, whether that be uh, hard of hearing, deaf, blind, um, sight impaired, is is that. You have a place at the table, and you should have a place at the table. And this has been part of our big initiative. You would think uh, we've spent a, a, a year and a half making APH a fully accessible workplace. Yeah. Which seems weird to think, well, you've been in the blind biz <laughs> yeah. since 1858. Why aren't you? And we're still working on that. we got a lot. Of, I mean, you walk down our hallways, and here are, here are all the flyers on jobs that are being posted. Here are the safety flyers. Here are... Um, You know, flyers about bake sales that are happening or things happening in the neighborhood. It's like, okay, so do we have an accessibility option for our staff who are blind on that? I'm happy to say we do. But it's like three years ago, no one had ever asked that question before. Well, I shouldn't say that. Staff who are blind or vision impaired had asked that question. I bet. I bet. And it had not necessarily, I think many times it had been addressed, but having a full company-wide policy on it had never been adopted in a plan so we've had no pushback from staff. It's been more just a, an awareness of you, we've got to do better. That welcome everyone keeps us in tune to what our mission is and what it is we're trying to achieve. We're staying true to our mission. We love our history.
2: Mm-hmm. We're
0: not changing our mission, but also it's inspiring our staff. You're yeah. better than you think you are. Right, You're smart people. Yeah, You're doing incredible work. Yeah, You need to be proud of that work. I think a lot of times, um, APH, the way we presented ourselves, was kind of like we're, you know, it, it's like the uh, uh, the general store, and there's nothing, wrong. I love general stores, right. but it's basically, hey, you need something, come see us, we have it, it's, it may be back here, you can't find it on our website, it's so tucked away back there, but we can find it for you, we'll make sure you get what you need, and we'll make sure you get the right thing, and we'll make sure that you're fully satisfied yeah. with the thing you get. Uh, and that's the other thing we're doing too as part of that branding is, is we, we changed our colors and that was a hard thing for people. Yeah. Um,
2: I like the colors though. I, I mean, like the new colors. yeah,
0: they're, they're sharp. they and are get, They're <laughs> retro. I mean everything's retro and yeah. so we did that and great. you know and uh, the other thing is we're changing our website. It's easy to navigate. to navigate. And get what you need yeah. and you know APH has over 14,000 products and so yeah. um, we told people it's like you will not find all 14,000 products on the website mm-hmm. you know because like every company we have 14,000 mm-hmm. products and and which is ridiculous we're, we're working on that too but the reality is it's basically about 50 products that make up 95% of all yeah, sales I bet,
2: I bet everyone has these go-to's for yeah. you guys
0: yeah. so you got 50 products that will be featured so we will have more than 50 products on the website but you know so if someone's like going well i want the original pattern series right it's like we're not we're not going to do a full like so when the new website comes out it's like there's the orbit 20 here's the the three-dimensional ability to spin and rotate that and you can go here and get here's the videos and here you can click on here and here's all the spec sheets and I can click here and it goes automatically to my shopping cart, yeah. you know? So it's more of an Amazon experience. Now, are we gonna do that with the original Patterns book that was done so many, many years yeah. ago? No. Do we still sell the Patterns book? Not building on Patterns, but the original Patterns series. Oh, right. There's still a few of those that get sold every year, you know, probably 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still have that as we're just changing our attitude, how we see ourselves how we want the world to see us not not so much our our partners you know we've we the k-12 market that works in the field of blindness and visual impairment they know us they know us well we have a long established relationship yep. we want nothing we don't want to do anything to damage that relationship yeah but there's a world out there of kids who are blind or visually impaired who need our products i firmly believe that and so we're looking at other markets when i go to world blind union and i'm talking with people from from India and from all over the world, Germany, and they're just like, yeah, we wish we had APH. We wish we had, an, if not APH, we wish we had a, a central clearinghouse for materials. Okay. No country has that.
1: Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's
2: 817-740-7530. Ex officio trustees are required in every state to look over allocated funds for products distributed by the American Printing House. Texas has two of these EOTs. I recently acquired that role, along with Dr. Vicki DePontis from TEA.
3: I'm Vicki DePantis, Program Specialist for the Blind and Visually Impaired at the Texas Education Agency. Part of my role at TEA is I am the ex officio trustee for the state of Texas's public schools, which means that for Texas I oversee the allocation of the state's quota funds. These are federal dollars that are allocated For each student who meets the eligibility requirements, I have to oversee the VI registration which collects all the data and then from that we can get a count of students and determine how the funds should be distributed throughout the state. Teachers of the visually impaired can contact uh, Randy McAllister, the APH ordering assistant, and talk through what kind of product they're thinking that they need for their student. Usually we find a way to either get them what they're requesting or give them a loaner to make sure that it is the right product for that student, especially if it's a high-cost product. They can order a variety of things, math materials, all kinds of math manipulatives, protractors with Braille or or Nemeth on them, things that are very academic, but also things to support other areas of the ECC. So it could be beat balls, balls that make sounds, little rattles different kinds of jump ropes that make a different sound and are weighted, high-end items like um, talking calculators, CCTV-like devices, devices that will magnify the pages that students are looking at. There's some new GPS software that they can use in their orientation mobility lessons. We also make sure that people understand what makes a student eligible because we have a lot of students who have visual impairments in Texas but maybe are not eligible to be in the count because maybe we don't have parental consent or maybe they don't—they haven't had a, a recent eye report or they have to meet the definition of blindness or function at the definition of blindness. We have about 10,700 students who are visually impaired in Texas but only 5,023 who are actually eligible for
1: quota funds if you'd like to learn more about services for the Deafblind be sure to register for the 2019 Texas Deafblind Symposium happening the weekend of February 22nd and 23rd in Austin Texas if you want to take full advantage of this experience but you are new to deaf blindness, consider attending the full day 2019 symposium pre-conference on Thursday February 21st for more information and to register visit www.tsbvi.edu.
2: The American Printing House for the Blind is a resource and entity that everyone should know about. I'm grateful for Vicky and Craig's time and knowledge. Because Craig and I do like to go down a rabbit hole, our interview became rather lengthy. Craig also shared more about himself and the field of blindness education. This will be included in a later episode. Be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. From the TSBDI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time.
1: This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.